The first reading is from Psalm 94, two parts of it, verses 1 to 7 and 16 to 19. O Lord, the God who avenges, O God who avenges, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long will the wicked, O Lord, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers are full of boasting. They crush your people, O Lord. They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the alien. They murder the fatherless. They say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob pays no heed. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? The Lord had given me help. I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death when I said, my foot is slipping. Your love, O Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. Thanks be to God. The Gospel reading comes from St Matthew, chapter 5, beginning to read at verse 43. Love for enemies. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Thank you to our readers and to the choir. You'll notice perhaps that I departed from the lectionary readings this morning just to have two readings that I hope are suitable for uh, our theme on this Racial Justice Sunday. Uh, and before we think about... Uh, Lord, we ask for your, the guidance, guidance in our hearts and our minds as we reflect on your word in the light of the world that we live in, that we may be better your disciples day by day. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Draw your attention this morning to uh, one of the verses from the psalm that we read, Psalm 94, who will help me fight against the wicked and who will stand with me against those who do evil. Four weeks ago, there were two interesting but very contrasting pieces of news from the world of football that broke on the same day. Before I go any further, perhaps I need to tell you that I'm not an avid football fan, so please don't think you can come up to me at the end of the service and discuss in depth the results of yesterday's matches, because I shan't know what you're talking about. But I do read the papers and I do listen to the news. And uh, three or four weeks ago, the first item 
concerned a West Bromwich player, Jay Rodriguez, who'd been accused by another player who plays for Brighton, Gayton Bong, uh, of making, making racist comments during a match. The alleged comment was, you're black and you stink. And uh, the report went on to say that the referee had done the necessary things and had followed up and uh, a proper investigation was going to follow. The second item, uh, on the same day, strangely enough, was the announcement of the death of Cyril Regis at the age of 59. Cyril Regis was a former striker for West Brom and Coventry, played for one or two other teams as well. He was a black guy, he came from French Guiana. He played for 19 years professionally, he'd been capped for England five times. But he made his debut in the world of professional football in the days when um, black players in this country were very rarely seen at top level. And very sadly, those who did were often racially abused with all sorts of monkey chants and bananas being raised uh, when a black player took place uh, control of the ball. And in fact, when Regis was uh, chosen for the first time for the England squad, he was sent a threatening letter which contained a bullet. But Cyril Regis used the abuse that was heaped upon him to inspire and goad him onto a higher state of standard of play. And he said after some years, he said, the racism used to be abhorrent. He said, but I turned a negative into a positive. And in his obituary, one commentator wrote about him. Regis scored an array of goals, but his impact went far beyond the pitch. And another one wrote, he was a role model for so many because he always treated everybody with kindness and respect. So Regis was a committed Christian. But it's a sobering thought, isn't it, that on the day that Cyril Regis died, a man who had done so much to bring respect for players of all nations to the game of football, <clears throat> that the newspapers still had to be reporting a racist attack or an alleged racist attack from one player to another. And for football, if we're realistic, we can read just about every other walk of life as well. Racial abuse is often about colour, but not always about colour. It can be specific to particular groups. Anti-Semitism can make life intolerable for a group of people within a particular nation, such as the Rohingya people in Myanmar. It can mark out a group of people as inferior to other people, or supposedly inferior to other people, such as the Dalits or the untouchables, as they're sometimes known in India. And it often raises its head, of course, when groups of people move from one country to another, either as immigrant workers or as refugees. But sadly, whenever racism rears its head, it, it penetrates into every aspect of life. It comes into employment, comes into education, comes into housing, comes into trade, and so on. And sometimes this injustice takes the form of domination and oppression and violence. And at other times, it's more a simple matter of the powerful managing to ignore the cries of the less powerful. The horrendous fire that took place in London last year, Notting Hill, North Kensington, at Grenville Towers, 
leaves a very bad stain, of course, on the ability of a so-called civilised and sophisticated nation to keep people safe in their own houses. There are many elements to that disaster. But one of the elements, undoubtedly, was the business of race. The cries of concern who represented a great variety from people, the residents who represented a great um, variety of ethnic backgrounds, was able to be quietly ignored for so long because there was no social cohesion about their protests and their repeated requests for safety to be addressed. Now, for nearly 30 years in the Methodist Church, we have observed one Sunday in the year as Racial Justice Sunday. And now, for nearly 20 years, this has become an ecumenical event. So why do we mark this Sunday as Racial Justice Sunday? Well, the literature for the day, or you can see the, something on the website about it, uh, reminds us there are four or five little bullet points. One is to reflect on the importance of racial justice. One is to give thanks for human diversity. One is to pray for an ending to misunderstanding, racism and injustice. One is to support action that truly makes a difference. And another one is to raise funds sometimes for particular causes, local racial justice initiatives. But basically, of course, we observe Racial Justice Sunday because we worship a God who is just, which I was speaking about earlier on in the service. We believe in justice because God is just. When we read through the book of Psalms, as I hinted earlier on in the service, so many times we come across that phrase, God is just. God is righteous. God is a God who loves fairness. God is a God who blesses those who are just. And we move on from the Psalms through to the Old Testament prophets. And we hear the passionate cry for justice in every sphere of life that comes through the call of the prophets. The reason why I chose the Gospel reading from Matthew 5 rather than just the lectionary reading this morning is because uh, that, again, is a passage that focuses on something about the fairness of God. We may remember that passage because it ends with that almost impossible uh, challenge. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we hear those words uh, at the end of the reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And then we say, oh, but golly, we can't live up to that. But just turn the verses round in their order a bit. And um, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Why is he perfect? Two or three verses earlier, we've been told that he is perfect and because he is fair, he sends the rain on the just and the unjust and makes the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is completely fair and just. And then, of course, as we move forward into the Acts of the Apostles. We read something of the uh, development of the early life of the Christian church. There's that wonderful story in chapter 10, and it's a very long chapter. Uh, not going to go into the whole of the story of now, but you will remember the story when the Apostle Peter was, uh, first of all, given a vision of a sheep being lowered with all sorts of animals and reptiles on it, and the invitation being given to get up and eat. Peter was horrified by this command. 
because he was being uh, asked to uh, eat things that were regarded as unclean. And almost at the same time, he receives a request at the door to go to the home of a Gentile, something that he would never have considered to do uh, as, a, as a good Jew. And through this long story, and it's worth reading uh, time and time again, if you've got time to read it when you go home in Acts chapter 10, through that story, Peter realises that God is saying something of massive importance to him. I now see, he concludes at the end of the story, that God has no favourites, but accepts people of every nation who fear him and do what is right. And that was a moment of great enlightenment in the life of the early church. It was as if, you know, the light bulb suddenly came on uh, and he could see truth as he had not seen it before. And it was a moment of enlightenment for the church. And so with this weight of biblical evidence and truth there, we are challenged to be concerned about justice. Racial justice and, and justice in every other sphere of life, of course. It should be at the very heart of the way we practice our faith if we're going to become Christ-like. And if we're going to love justice, then we also need to be moved by injustice. I'm sure that many of you were present a few weeks ago when you shared together in the covenant service at the beginning of the new year. One of the things that we're invited to confess in the prayer of confession in that covenant service is this. For the sin that has made us tolerant of injustice, Lord, have mercy. And so I take you back to this verse in the psalm, Psalm 94. Uh, who will help me fight against the wicked and who will stand with me against those who do evil? And ask the question, what might our response be on this Racial Justice Sunday uh, where we are part of a society still, part of a world that practices injustice in many different forms? I want to suggest three things very briefly. First of all, I think we need to be willing to acknowledge and recognise racism and prejudice when it takes place. Sometimes that's very simple because it's so overt. And when a, one football player allegedly uh, abuses another football player, in the words that I quoted earlier on um, in the sermon, uh, when that happens, it's so obvious. That is racism. But there are still many subtle forms of racism that take place. And despite the fact that we have many laws to try and prevent injustice being done, injustice still happens. There is this thing called institutional racism, which means that somehow life is organised in such a way in various organisations, institutions, that it's actually not easy for a minority to be properly recognised on the grounds of their race. It's something that the police had to address, particularly in the Metropolitan Police Force some years ago, following the death of Stephen Lawrence and the inquiry that took place some years later. And then there may well be the prejudice deep within our minds that maybe we haven't even begun to recognise ourselves and we need to be open to being understanding ourselves a little bit better. Wisdom and honesty are very important parts of being a follower of Jesus. 
And in the field of racial justice, we need to pray for a lot of wisdom and a lot of understanding to understand some of the hidden things that aren't always lying obviously on the surface. And then to pray for honesty to address some of those fears within our own hearts. And so recognising and acknowledging racism, overt and hidden, is the first response we should have. And then secondly, of course, we need to develop a passion for justice in every sphere of life, and particularly today as we think about racial injustice. The prophets used to burn with a passion. You can feel it as you read some of the words in the Old Testament prophets. They used to burn with fire and passion and to rail against injustice, and we need to be disturbed about this. I'm taken back to a little incident in my childhood uh, from my primary school days. In my last year at primary school, we had a new head teacher who came, who was not only our head teacher, but he was also our class teacher as well. And I took a fairly instant dislike to him. Uh, he probably took a dislike to me as well. Uh, but uh, I disliked him, uh, and I was able to identify the reason for this, because he treated people differently. And particularly this came where the girls came into question. And he would welcome the pretty and attractive girls who came up to his desk with a smile and a cuddle. But the ones who weren't so pretty and attractive were not so welcome and were not cuddled. And particularly poor little Susan, who was a rather ragged little girl, dirty, not very well washed, had a glass eye in one eye that wasn't, didn't fit very well and often used to drop out and roll across the classroom floor. <coughs> That's for everybody's amusement. Susan was not welcome and Susan was not given a couple. And this used to bug me. It got back to him one day that it bugged me as well because somebody told him. He said to me when I went into school the following morning, did I hear that you say I have pets? And I thought, oh dear, I'm cornered now, aren't I? I did say it and I do believe it. So I just said, yes, sir. And he said, after a moment's silence, oh. The subject was never mentioned again. Twenty years later, he served a prison sentence for abuse of children. I think something of my passion for injustice and seeing people treated differently, unfairly, came from that incident. We need to, be al need to allow ourselves to be moved by injustice and to develop a passion for justice. And today, particularly, we translate that into the field of racial injustice. We need to be moved by injustice. We need to be disturbed when people are discriminated against. Maybe because of the colour of skin or particular ethnicity or cultural background or, or whatever it is. So we need, first of all, to recognise and acknowledge. We need to be allowed... Uh, allow ourselves to be deeply disturbed and to have a passion for justice. And then, of course, there is a need sometimes to take action. I was very fortunate when I left school. I went to work in London uh, for uh, three years um, and I was able to live at one of our church hostels. It was called uh, Methodist International House. Uh, we never called it a hostel because um, Hilda Porter, who was the founder warden of that uh, home, wanted it to be regarded as a family. It was a home for home for students from all over the world. 
It had been going for about 10 years by the time I went to live in it for three years. And uh, I think there were about 45, 50 different nationalities and 120 different students there. And it was a wonderful experience, of course. <clears throat> but it had been opened about 10 years before at the instigation of Hilda Porter, who uh, had been a missionary in China back in the 1930s. When she came back to England, <clears throat> it was in the years of the war, and uh, immediately after the war, of course, many people coming from Commonwealth countries, some to work here, many as students. Coming to what they regarded from the Commonwealth as their mother country, to its capital city, and yet finding uh, notices that often advertise rooms to let, but no coloureds, blacks, no Irish, no dogs, as they said in Liverpool as well. Those awful notices that were legal in those days. And Hilda Porter was disturbed enough to persuade the Methodist people to raise money and buy a hotel that she converted into this hostel and was able to make a home for people. Uh, and so it wasn't just a matter that racial justice was challenged. It was a matter that friendships were positively fostered across the nations, friendships that lasted a lifetime for many people. And within a few years, about a dozen other Methodist international houses had been established up and down the country. It is better to light a candle than to curse the dark, so an old Chinese proverb goes. It is actually a very significantly Christian statement as well, of course. It's like St. Paul writing to the Romans and urging them to overcome evil with good. Yes, we need to develop a passion for injustice like the prophets, but we need to work, to act, to work for justice, for fairness, in valuing every person, because this is the call of Jesus Christ.